0: We implemented many ITIL processes. The world's most
1: practiced method for project management. has been um, a catalyst in my career. Hundreds of thousands of people with a Prince 2 qualification. I've seen ITIL help organizations be more successful.
0: The Axelos Podcast, bringing best practice directly to you. Hello everyone and welcome uh, to today's podcast. Uh, Today I'm joined by uh, Ruth Murray-Webster, who is the lead editor for the MSP Fifth Edition update. Uh, good afternoon, Ruth, and how are you today?
1: Hi, Alan. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you.
0: Okay, so uh, let's get started on a discussion uh, regarding the, uh, a, t- a topic around the, the Fifth Edition. Why take the Fifth Edition MSP? So, Ruth, why a new addition to MSP?
1: Well, I think the gap between the fourth and the fifth edition was about 10 years, Alan. And uh, during that time, uh, I guess there there's just been many research reports and, you know, other thought pieces put out into um into our ecosystem about the high failure rate of programs. Um, You know, some of those big, um, I guess what we call transformation programs or large scale um, specification led programs. And, also, you know, the digital revolution, the speed of change, the increase in agile ways of working. And I think just a perception of the increased volatility and uncertainty of a number of aspects of life um, meant that there was a view that programme management must evolve to meet meet those demands. Um, Axos did its own research um, and this research also demonstrated that there were some widespread misconceptions about what program management is, and and therefore really what MSP is and what MSP needed to do. So, you know, when I was given the challenge of of updating the guidance, well, I guess there's always a tendency to simply add new material to the existing content, um, but instead we the decision was taken to just go back to basics and to challenge. Every aspect of MSP fourth edition to ensure that, you know, what remained and lots did remain, but what remained um, was actually required and it contributed to the guidance being fit for purpose now and, you know, for the next um few years 10 years i guess so um yeah we you know we did research we um we we took a look at things we decided that msp um needed to be transformed just because the context um, was changing so much and that's how we started
0: thanks for that Ruth. that's that was really comprehensive so we, we you sort of mentioned it about common challenges so how does the fifth edition Address the most common challenges that organizations encounter when leading investments in change.
1: Okay, so um, obviously the the how the fifth edition um, does this is through the the MSP integrated framework, that interconnection of principles and themes and processes. And I think um, you know maybe we'll touch on that a bit later on. But, you know, that interplay of principles, themes and processes, um, there were really four key areas of challenges that we um, that we had in mind that we needed MSP to respond to. So the first area, um, I think, is what is just where the challenges that come as a feature of the involvement of maybe multiple investing organisations and or the involvement of um, large numbers of stakeholders with different views of what good looks like. So, you know, what I would call high socio-political complexity. Um, It can be argued that such challenges are not exclusive to programmes. You know, large projects have these challenges too, and and that's correct. But such challenges are common in programme work. So that was the first area. Um, The second area... Um, was really about challenges relating to time Um, and you know programs obviously can take quite um, a long time you know typically a number of years to implement major change and over that time it can be difficult to maintain a convincing narrative to support the vision to keep the energy to move forward or indeed to prevent reinvention of the wheel when new stakeholders or organisational leaders join the programme partway through. So the second uh, group, if you like, of common challenges that MSP um, addresses are are some matters to do with with time and pace. Um, The third group um, of challenges are associated with just the fact that programs are delivered through multiple projects and other work, and and just the large number of dependencies that arise because of this—dependencies on and from external factors, and resource dependencies in the organisation—and I think, you know, we'll recognise that it's common for an organisation to believe that it has the capacity and the ability to achieve the benefits from the programme, um, and only to find that. You know, the vision just can become obscured by some of the structural complexity of the work and those those interdependencies. So that's another area that we were very mindful of, common challenges we were mindful of, um, and the MSP addresses. And then finally, uh, the fourth area... Um, you know things change we we expect change um when we when we're doing these sorts of endeavors, and obviously programs need to keep abreast of changes and they need to be able to adjust. So being able to focus on delivery of plan A, while keeping open to the need to adjust to plan B, um, you know, is a challenge, it's not simple. And so we needed um, the fifth edition um, to, you know, just provide a how to deal with that alongside the other common challenges.
0: think that I think that's really powerful from what I've reviewed in the fifth edition Ruth like we we have this focus on investment and change rather than program types and that's really so important and it comes across marvelously in the book itself so just moving on how does the fifth edition produce the program strategy and how does it create the plans to deliver it
1: okay so um Anybody who's listening to this and who um, knew the fourth edition would remember that there were a number of strategies related to different parts of the the method, the, the guidance. So in the fifth edition, we've really moved away from that to say that there is one program strategy. Um, so your question was, you know, how does the fifth edition produce the program strategy, this this single program strategy? Well, the way that it's done is that the program strategy has um, a number of compulsory sections. We, we call them um, approaches. So in, in each of the themes in MSP fifth edition, you know, the organisation theme, the design theme, the justification theme, for example, there are um, questions that leadership need to answer um, about the approach to that theme. And the answers to those questions then help the um, the strategy to be defined. So there are um, 11 um, compulsory sections to the programme strategy, but... Although there are there are compulsory sections, the amount of you know what goes in those sections is entirely up to the investing organisation. We we wanted to have a, a policy of um, or a, an aim to ensure the maximum amount of tailoring. So because the strategy is derived by answering questions for each approach, then it enables the organization to make their program strategy absolutely fit for purpose for them. So let me just give you an example um, so so you can get the hang of it. So one of the compulsory sections in the program strategy is the delivery approach, but what MSP does is it just asks some questions um, and the answers to the questions go in the program strategy. So for example, What ways of working are most appropriate to the task team individuals and context? Therefore, what modes of delivery will be used? Or how will dependencies be defined and managed within the program? So MSP is not telling the organization um, what modes of delivery to use or how to manage, um, how to define and manage dependencies. It's asking them how they're going to do it and how they're going to do it goes in their program strategy. So one strategy with 11 compulsory sections. Then from that, you also asked me about plans. Um, Well, there are just five compulsory plans in NSP 5th edition. Um, Organisations might decide to have other plans, but there are only five that's required. So the organisation theme um, then has a requirement for a stakeholder engagement and communications plan. The justification theme has a requirement for a finance plan. The structure theme has a requirement for a delivery plan and a benefits realisation plan, and the assurance theme has um, the requirement for an assurance plan, and they're the only ones. Hopefully, that makes sense.
0: That does, Ruth, and I love the clarity here that basically, because always uh, when I've been running programmes in the past, the programme strategy using the fourth edition was always a bit um, not mysterious, but it was hard to follow in certain instances, so I mean the F- MSP five basically has given uh, quite a lot of steer, and and that's that and that helps in in these complex uh, environments which programmes are. So thank you for that. So just moving on. So how does the fifth edition align programmes and projects with the organisational strategy? Uh,
1: okay. So I think the task of aligning with organisational strategy happens in a few ways. Um, The primary way really is is established through the benefits map, where the path to benefits, you know, so benefits being the measurable outcomes needed to meet organisational objectives. So the, you know, the path to benefits is devised and agreed through the benefits mapping process. So I think that's the primary link you know you might know the projects you're going to do you know how those will come together in terms of new capabilities and how those will lead to outcomes and how you'll measure um, measure those outcomes as benefits but you, you don't stop there those benefits then need to show a clear path to organizational objectives and organizational strategy so so that's the primary way um I guess that um the alignment is made. But I think then there are some supporting aspects to that because obviously, you know, the benefits map, you know, provides that schematic almost, that view of the path to benefits. But then the measurable benefits, along with the costs and risks, enable the program to be justified over time through the business case. So again, the business case is, needs to align with organizational strategy. I think. Um, supporting this the governance approach in the organization theme requires the line of sight from the program to corporate governance including things like risk appetite and delegated limits of authority so this ensures that the program's embedded firmly in organizational decision making which then should help alignment with org strategy and i think the final example i just use is the decision making approach in the program strategy defines the controls associated with any decisions made to continue or stop the program you know so for example you know the decision points um, for the program both planned ones for example at, at an end of trance review or ad hoc ones for example on the back of a significant change request or emergent change in the program environment so you know Um, All of the time, you know, MSP is providing those touch points between the programme and its objectives, but how that programme is serving organisational objectives and organisational strategy.
0: Thanks. Thanks for that, Ruth. That's really, really, really clear. Having reviewed the book, I noticed that there's scenarios now in the guide. So what are the scenarios in the guide and why are they
1: important? OK, so the core guidance in MSP Fifth Edition obviously applies to any programme. But we know and I think, you know, through our research um, before um, embarking on the Fifth Edition, we, we were clear that there are many reasons why an organisation might use MSP and um, you alluded to this earlier. We absolutely do not talk about types of program because types makes it sound like well, it's one of you know, it's one of those or it's one of these, and that those types are distinct. And we know that's not true in reality. But we know that there are um, there are there are many reasons for using MSP, and we use the scenarios in the guide just to bring to life. Um, the four core reasons that, that we established for why organizations might use MSP. So the four scenarios, um, they align to um, four, um, uh, to programs that have four sort of different drivers or distinctive characteristics. So, you know, we say that one reason for um, investing in um, you know, using an MSP to, um, to guide a program would be where you want to bring about um, innovation um, or growth. So an, an investment in innovation and growth. So we have one scenario that's an example of a program that's doing just that. And it's about um, looking at, um, you know, a large scale um, investment in, um, in a rail network. Um, so that's the first one the second reason uh, that organizations might use MSP is if they want to if they're embarking on significant organizational realignment that that could be a merger it could be an acquisition uh, a restructure of some sort and so we have a second scenario that's focused on that reason and this is an example of um a charity um a a charitable organisation undergoing a large organisational realignment. Um, And then the third um, reason for using MSP, we we called it investments that are focused on effectiveness. And we we defined effectiveness as either, you know, the programme needed to deal with a response to a demand from maybe a customer or a regulator or other stakeholders to improve something. It might be to improve compliance, it might be to improve performance, but it was um, a a sort of an external, externally driven need to improve and to become more effective. And so scenario three, we is set in a banking um, environment and it's called the Bank Compliance and Adaptability Programme. And then the fourth reason, is we called uh, an an efficiency investment. So we know that program management is also really useful in, I suppose, mini portfolios where um, the organization is sharing scarce resources or needing to get the best outcomes for the least cost across multiple projects and processes. And so then we used the scenario of a utilities company and a utilities maintenance and improvement program. So there are four scenarios um, that deal with four reasons for using MSP. Um, In reality, Programs might be a mixture of those reasons for using MSP. You know, you might be doing um, a big investment in innovation and and growth and um, doing some efficiency gains at the same time, for example. Um, So we're not saying that these are distinct types. But there are reasons for using MSP, and the scenarios are just there to, I guess, bring the guide to life and to show how it might be applied. Um, but they are just examples. You know, in reality, um, you know, every program will look slightly differently, and the organisation will tailor MSP to meet their needs.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Ruth. But I particularly like uh, in the in the guide. How the examples, and in particular in the themes uh, section of the book, you know, bring the guide to life. It gives it an example, and it and it's really it really helps the understanding for the end user. So it's a, a really great addition uh, to the guide in MSP five. Uh, just just to recap, Ruth, how do the principles, governance themes, and processes uh, in MSP five interact to deliver change?
1: Okay, so um, in some ways this has not changed because, um, you know, we've got principles, themes and processes um, as before. Um, They were called principles, governance, themes and steps in the transformational flowing fourth edition. So we've simplified the language just to principles, themes and processes. There are seven of each. Um, And there is a many to many relationship between those seven principles, seven themes and seven processes, which means that all of the principles are dealt with in each theme and the themes are applied across the processes. So let me give you an example. Um, So the um, MSP has a principle um, about enabling the realisation of benefits. So, you know, principle, it's core, it's enduring, um, you know, it's foundational to MSP. So, so then, you know, enabling the realization of benefits, each theme needs to pick that up. So I'll not do them all. But for example, the organizational theme does that by establishing roles and responsibilities for benefits realization. Um, The design theme, ensures benefits are identified and the path to benefits is clear. Um, The justification theme ensures the business case takes account of the cost-risk-benefit trade-off, and the structure theme ensures there's a benefits realisation plan, etc. So each of the themes is dealing with each of the principles, and then applying the themes enables the programme strategy and plans to be developed so that the processes can enact those strategies and plans. So it sounds a bit complicated. And in the fifth edition, um, you know, there's lots of mapping of principles to themes and themes to processes, et cetera. Um, but I think as, you know, you get into it, you'll see that um, it really is an integrated framework. And, yeah, be- you know, that's how, you know, that's how change is delivered through that that real close interconnection.
0: I would, I would, I really would, would agree with that. Was, you, when you've read the guidance, then then you can you you can see where the the the, the, the themes inter- interact with the principles, and the mm-hmm. themes interact with the processes, and hence the processes interact with the principles as well f- throughout the guide. So it's really, really well integrated, and I imagine I mean that's highly advantageous when you're dealing with something as complicated as uh, program delivery. So thanks for that, Ruth. Much appreciate it. Uh, When we talk about the themes, we we, we also look at uh, uh, program design, and uh, so what are the four key elements uh, of of program design, which is mentioned in in the design theme in the guide in the fifth edition, which ensures focus on outcomes of benefit for your organization?
1: Yeah, good, good question. I think this is a real, um, this is a key part of it, isn't it, in that um, design theme and, and just having a very um, uh, clear view about the interaction of, um, of four key elements. So that the, the elements are um, the vision, the benefits, the target operating model and the risks. But let me just say a little bit more about how they come together. So the programme design describes the future state of the organisation, you know, the desired future state um, once the programme's been um, delivered. And that desired future state is is described through the target operating model. Um, The target operating model, so, you know, that says, you know, what will the process be, the incentives be, the culture be, the um, the organisation structure be in, in the future state. Having defined the future state, you can then you know, cross-check cross that with the benefits defined in the benefits map and detailed in benefit profiles because, Clearly, you know, they have to match. and There's no point having, you know, wonderful statements about, oh, well, this program is going to deliver these benefits if it's not absolutely clear how those benefits will be enabled through the future state. Um, and so the, the target operating model and the benefits are two things that need to match, if you like, be coherent. But what also needs to be coherent is the outward facing communication about the program. So you know the organization knows what they'd like the future state to look like and what benefits that that would um, would produce, but it needs to tell stakeholders about the program and it does that through the vision, the vision statement. So the target operating model, the benefits and the vision statement need to be aligned. And then the fourth area, um, risks, you know, programs are inherently uncertain and ambiguous. So the program design must take into account risks arising from the external context as well as the internal organization. So that whole piece of, you know, the target operating model, the benefits and the vision need to be cast in an understanding of what the risks are. There's no point, you know, being overly ambitious or overly cautious on this. So those four things come together, they interact, they need to be a coherent whole um, to enable the program design to be robust and you know capable of being implemented.
0: Thanks for explaining that very important point very clearly Ruth thank you for that from the fifth edition so much appreciated. Also within the fifth edition uh, enterprise agility is mentioned so what is this and how can the fifth edition provide it to organizations?
1: Mm, It's a really um, there's a real sort of Big conversation, I think, around organisations about enterprise agility at the moment. It's sometimes called corporate agility or organisational agility, um, and I guess it it can be defined as, or you know, MSP defines it as, it's a condition of an organisation that is able to be flexible and responsive to drivers in its environment. So you know, not not stuck. You know, not um, not like an oil tanker that, you know, is going in one direction and it's really difficult to turn it around. But organizations, I mean, you know, common languages, you know, organizations that can pivot, that can adapt, that can be flexible and responsible and, um, and uh, small a agile show agility. It's really important that we don't confuse this with capital A agile ways of working used in projects. So enterprise agility is all about staying alert to emergent change and disruptive trends and importantly being able to adapt these in a timely way. So programmes are one way that an organisation can implement strategy. Um, And as competitors, consumers, um, regulators, um, you know, technological or societal expectations change, so the organisation needs to adapt strategy to stay competitive and relevant. So MSP provides for this through an incremental process, um, incremental progression, and governance focused not only on looking back and managing performance, but also on looking forward and anticipating trends and dealing with ambiguity which is one of the seven principles of MSP Um just to say a little bit more it, it is really important for me that we do that we don't confuse how MSP enables enterprise agility with the unquestionable benefits of adopting capital A agile ways of working for some or all of the projects within the program but um They're different things. So enterprise agility is achieved through the inherent properties of the principles, themes and processes of the MSP integrated framework and how they work together. In addition to this, some projects within the program will benefit or may benefit from using agile ways of working focused on iterative and incremental design and delivery of outputs. But it's not a requirement for programs to adopt Capital A Agile methods. It depends on the work. And enterprise agility is just as possible when projects adopt a linear or what some people might call a waterfall life cycle. Um, bit, I've had my arms waving around a lot in explaining that, but hopefully it comes across clearly.
0: Oh yeah, that's come across, come across loud and uh, loud and clear, Ruth. And uh, I think that's explained it for for everyone listening about the uh, the, the enterprise agility uh, questions and comments which have been uh, uh, prevalent in certain instances in, in social media. So thank you, Ruth. So uh, I think the, the response you gave me will have put that to bed somewhat. We've we've, we've actually talked a lot about the guidance. So how were the the exams themselves improved in conjunction with the guidance?
1: Um, okay, I've got a couple of things to say here. I mean first of all, MSP continues to be examined at foundation and practitioner levels and I think it's um you know all of the um, research that Axos does shows that um know providing recognized credentials at those two levels is still you know important it's an important part of helping people to be effective in leading planned organizational change um i think the exams were improved in part because the core guidance was tightened Um, msp fifth edition it's a smaller book than the fourth edition and the compulsory and therefore examinable content is really clearly outlined, um, as is the non-examinable content. So the scenarios focus very clearly on application and are non-examinable. Um, and the core guidance is much tighter. And that is is all examinable. And I think it just it does improve. um. The experience of people doing exams when when the book very clearly um is aligned with the um the uh, learning outcomes in the syllabus for for the exams i mean just in terms of our process we um it, we wrote the guide and developed examination materials you know, in parallel. So we went through a, you know, a series of of iterations just really tightly and um, keeping the content and the exams aligned. And I think our beta testing um, showed that, um, that that had really worked. Um, and not only could the exams be launched earlier, but we had really clear feedback that examinations focused on the fifth edition were less ambiguous. So that would be um, my take on it.
0: Thank you, Ruth. Is there anything else you'd like to add to today's discussion?
1: Well, I have said what I'm going to say before, but um, it's still true, so I'll repeat it here. And apologies for anything who's heard me said this for the the second time. But I guess it's just about my um, involvement in MSP Fifth Edition as as lead editor. I have been involved in MSP for quite a while, over many years, Um, you know, as a trainer, I've been on exam panel, I've implemented the advice as a practitioner, I've advised others as a consultant, and now I've been lead editor of of this edition. Um, and one indeed, you know, I had an authoring team and uh, one of the authors in my team, Andrew Schuster, he's arguably the only person who's been involved in every edition of MSP since 1999. So, you know, we had some history in the team. And I mentioned this because my personal view is that MSPs always try to provide the bridge between the project view of the world and the strategic and organizational view of the world. But maybe previously has not quite spanned that gap and, and, and maybe brought too much of a project mindset to the management of programs. So my motivation when I was asked to uh, be lead editor was to refresh MSP, it was to build on great work and be really respectful of that, You know, not destroy it, but also to reflect more of a balance between a project and an organizational view. And, you know, I think as a result, um, hopefully we have content that will be seen as new or at least given more emphasis, you know, particularly around the ongoing justification for programs and decision making over time. So we've tried to do this without destroying the critical focus on realizing benefits um, or of designing the future state to be coherent or of structuring implementation in tranches. Um, with landing points um, on the way that are safe places to stop if necessary and all that within a governance framework that's risk-based you know providing assurance and driving continual improvement um it was a real privilege to to be lead editor of this, and I, I took it really seriously. And um, you know, my my experience as a practitioner and as a consultant, um, as well as you know, teaching this stuff over the years, programs have got many moving parts, and I think this is reflected in the fifth edition. But hopefully, we've we've dealt with it in a way that's clear and tailorable and valuable to practitioners you know as they pursue beneficial change in their organizations so I think that's it
0: I would say, Ruth, that that's been achieved because when you read the guidance, you get that flavor of the experience that that people have on the team. And that's been reflected in the way the guidance has has been written. So it just leaves me to say, thank you for an excellent conversation, Ruth. And uh, thank you for today until we meet again.
1: Yeah. Thank thank you, Ruth. Thank you for asking me. Bye-bye. My
0: pleasure. Bye for now. presented by Axelos.